Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're going to do three things. Number one, we're going to try to just understand the Hebrew, uh, looking for key words. And then number two, we'll try to understand the theology, kind of what's what are the ideas embedded in the prayer. And number three, which we probably won't get to today for sure, is how does this fit into Shachri, meaning, you know, why does this come uh, after Yotzer, before Shema? Does, does its particular location make it mean anything in context? So understanding ideology or theology and context. Those are kind of the three levels. Okay? Um, Hashem, our God, you loved us a great love. That works pretty well in English also. The next one won't work as well as in English. A great and abundant mercy have you mercied us. Okay, so this is nice because in Hebrew you can make Verbs into nouns, nouns into verbs. That's how Hebrew works. English doesn't always work that way. So God, you have loved us an abundant love and you have mercyed us an abundant mercy. I think that's how I translate chemla here. Um, Sephardim, if you're used to a Sephardic sidur, starts ahavat olam ahavtanu Hashem elokeinu. We're familiar with mariv, also starts Avat Olam, Avat Olam Be Israel Amacha Ahavta, right? Similar idea. Um, this is based on a disagreement in the Talmud on whether this blessing should start Ahavat Rabbah or Ahavat Olam. The disagreement in the Talmud is not resolved. Um, Tosfot, who's a Ashkenazi commentator, says, therefore we settle it by saying Avat Rabbah in the morning and Avat Olam in the evening, okay? But Sephardim rule that both start Avat Olam. Uh, we may come back to that point. So, God, you loved us a great love, and you mercyed us a great mercy. So God loves us. Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king, or we can say our parent, our sovereign, um, I'll come back to the phrase in a moment. For the sake of our ancestors who trusted you, who, who relied on you, and you taught them uh, either eternal laws or laws of life, meaning laws that lead to life, so Chukei Chaim could mean either eternal laws or laws of life. Cain, and again, I guess laws of life could mean the laws for living life or laws which will lead to life. Could mean any of those. Cain Techoneinu Utlamdeinu. Thus will you also be kind or gracious to us and teach us. 
So let's pause for a moment because there's a lot contained in there. So, God, you have loved us. You, you love us. So the foundational statement of our Abba is relationship. So right away, I said we weren't going to get to context yet, but just to mention context. Right away, this is a change from a shift in focus from Yotzer, right? Yotzer is about God as God of what? Creation. Creation, the entire universe. And the manifestation of that is the sun, which does, the sun rose again, the light, which does evidence Rachamim, okay, God's compassion. But it's not Rachamim for us in particular. And the Ocher does not particularly dwell on Rachamim. It more dwells on what the universe is like, creation. So here we have a shift of focus. We're now talking about relationship, okay? God is in relationship with us. And the fundamental aspect of that relationship, fundamental feeling, is love. Okay? And again, I, I want to take it back. It's not really a feeling, because we, we didn't say, God, you feel love towards us, but rather, God, you have been loving toward us. What is the evidence of that, according to what we read? is that you taught our ancestors chukei chayim. So, the evidence of or manifestation of God's love and compassion, mercy, is that God taught our ancestors chukei chayim, either laws for life or laws that lead to life or eternal laws. And we're now asking God for something. Please be kind to us by teaching that to us too. So the manifestation of relationship of God's love for us, God's act of love, is that God gave our ancestors instructions. What are instructions, presumably? What are the instructions? The Torah. The Torah. We'll see that later on, okay? Much of this blessing is about the Torah. So the Torah, the laws, the way of life, the way to live life, is a manifestation of God's love for us. So rather than it's a burden or it's something that's supposed to make you afraid of reward and punishment or it's a discipline, right? Avar says, no, the fact that we have the Torah is proof of God's love, proof that God cares for us. And again, there's a shift here um, from the more universal aspect in the first bracha to a more... um, particularistic Jewish aspect in the second bracha because you gave the Torah we have us we have our ancestors okay not the world um, comment on Avinu Malkenu which we're so familiar with now because we're saying Avinu Malkenu every day morning and afternoon um, that I read in one of my Sidur commentaries last night is that um we, we've talked in the past about how sometimes there are pairs of ideas, p- pairs of expression, which express the um, tension 
between God's transcendence and God's immanence. Immanence, I-M-M-A. Well, I suppose it could also be God, I-M-M-I. No. I think it's no. a I or A. I don't know. It could be both. So God is God of the universe. God is very far away, but God is close, right? We ask God to heal sick people who we love, and yet God created you know, the black holes and the electrons and everything. And all we've said in the past, all religions have to deal with this tension. And it's hard to sometimes grasp that tension. How is it possible that God is the God of the universe who created everything also might hear individual prayer and is close to me? So one pair of sentences that we looked at was Kadosh, 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 and Baruch Hashem in Komo. Right? We said that Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh is about God. The entire universe is filled with God's glory. But Baruch, Kavod Hashem, Kamo, God's uh, Kavod flows into everything. Okay? That's one pair. Another pair we'll look at is Shema and Baruch, Shem, Kod, Malchuto. When we get to it, is also expressing this, I don't want to call it a duality, but call it a tension. And um, I read last night that Avinu Malkenu also captures that tension. God is a parent, which implies loving and close, but God is a sovereign, which implies uh, some degree of um, distance and lordliness, very different than the idea of a parent. So the phrase avinu malkenu captures those things together. And I would be happy if Hebrew could be uh, non-gendered so that we could have a non-gendered way so that just as we can say in English our parent, our sovereign um, we could have a different way of uh, we, we could have a non-gendered way of saying that in Hebrew but we don't okay and so because uh, you know most of Jewish tradition is a patriarchal tradition like most of the Western world, like most of the world, we're stuck with male imagery, our father, our king, where I'm pretty sure um, that God does not have a gender. There are not that many things I'm sure of in life, but I'm really pretty sure that the master of the universe does not have a gender. So that's what we got. Okay. Um, and there's places where we say, you know, God of our ancestors, so we add Imotenu to Avotenu, Avotenu Vimotenu, uh, but I'm not sure we can fix this as easily. Okay. Avi? Yep. Uh, from a poetic Hebrew way, I just want to point out that there are those words, let's say, Ahava Rabba and then Ahavtano. Yes. Then Chemla and Chamalta. Yep. And then Telamden, Telamdeno. Yep. Then Rahaman, Merachem, Rachem. Yep. So it gives it, if you look at it from a Hebrew poetic way, it forms kind of a poem. Yes. Because we have key words that are repeated. Yes. Good. Great. In, in different forms, like nouns and verbs, yes. in different forms. Yes, good. Thank you, Vered. Um, by the way, so according to this, there's one word that we've read so far that is the purpose of Torah. The manifestation of God's love is 
uh, um, well, it doesn't say Torah yet. It says Chukei Chaim, laws of life. And what is their purpose? There's one verb that we've read so far that is their purpose. It's the last word we read. Utalam Denu. The purpose is to teach us. Teach us. Or instruct us. Okay? So if God is like a sovereign, then the purpose of laws... You know, why does a sovereign give laws? Presumably to run the kingdom in a smooth fashion. And if a, uh, why does a parent give rules? So the, uh, I think the implication here is the rules are a manifestation of God's compassion for us. I'm going to say it backwards. It would be uncompassionate of God to not give us rules. Larry? I just want to add to what Verit said, that in the last example of that, there must be a name for that, we actually have a triplet, not a, not a couplet. A Rachaman. Good, good. So let's go on. So our parent, I'm going to, tra- I'm going to mistranslate and make it gender neutral. Avinu Rachaman, our parent. The merciful parent, or compassionate. Hamrachem, the one who is compassionate, the one who acts compassionately. Rachem Aleinu, have compassion to us. So apparently, the fact that God gave our ancestors the Chukei Chaim is not sufficient manifestation of God's compassion for us. The fact that this was in the past we're asking God to do something for us now also. Uh, again, I want to point out the irony and the, I'm going to call it confusion, because um, here I think Hebrew is confused, but doesn't know, doesn't realize it's confused. Hold on a second, Barry, because we take for granted the word rachem to mean compassionate, but rachem comes from rechem, which means womb, right? So. Rachamim really means womb feeling. It means the feeling that only a mother can have. That's really what Rachamim has. And I think I've talked about this in the past, but I'll just say it really briefly again, that um, we know that ancient Israel, biblical Israel, had pagan roots where there are many different deities responsible for different aspects of the universe. And there were female deities responsible for all sorts of female things like fertility and childbearing, etc. And in the great, I will call it the great religio-political bloodbaths of the 800s, 700s, and 600s BCE, um, which you can read about, you know, like in the Book of Kings, uh, monotheism won out which meant the idea that there were multiple forces in the universe was stamped out as official religion, and the official religion became that um, there was only one unified force in the universe, good K, Vav K. Um, not surprisingly, this force was conceived of as male, because, you know... This was written about and thought about by men um, who were, were not prepared to think about non, non-gendered deities yet. You know, it was like a, 
maybe 1,500 years too early for that. Um, And so all of the aspects of all the multiple deities, lawgiver, warrior, uh, fertility, right? All was rolled into the one deity. So we ended up with the irony that the masculine deity has Rachamim, right? The deity, which is, con- which is the only force of the universe, which was conceived of, described as male, has an aspect which is called womb feeling, right? So the male deity has something which is a feeling that mothers have, and that's the word for compassion or mercy in Hebrew, the word that we usually translate as compassion, Rachamim. So I just want to point that out, right? So we have multiple times here that we say, and again, the irony in this sentence, and now, now I'll translate it gendered, our father, the wombie father, have, who has womb feeling, have womb feeling for us. That's what we're saying. Have womb feeling for us, O oh father, okay? Or if we genderize it totally, have maternal feelings for us, O oh father, Okay, we're in the middle of a sentence, but we'll pause. Barry? So, until now, um, wombing has been the process by which God has wombed the universe and everybody. And, uh, and it, but it's not automatic. And so we are requesting uh, God to womb us now. Yes. So we're requesting for now. Vitain Billy Benu, what would the manifestation of that compassion be? Let's just see. Eight verbs. Okay? Help our mind. means help our mind. We translate it as heart. Uh, we, we tend to translate it as heart, but heart makes it seem like just feelings, whereas the lave in biblical Hebrew, is the seat of all emotions and thoughts. We would call it mind. Mind, heart, it's really what it is in English metaphor. So help our mind understand, discern, hear, learn, teach, keep, do, and fulfill what? all the words of your Torah teaching lovingly. By the way, I think the shot here is that we should do it lovingly. In other words, it's reciprocal. God loves us by giving us the chukei chayim, and now we're asking God to help us understand and keep all of the Torah teachings lovingly. Um, I suppose the Be'ava could also work the first way, like Tain Billy Benu Be'ava. It could also mean with your love or by means of your love, grant it in our mind to um, keep, teach, do, fulfill, etc., etc. So I think uh, the Hebrew here is ambiguous. So it could either be a manifestation of God's love for us 
or we could be asking God to help us do this lovingly, right? We know that we're going to get to reciprocal love for God in the next paragraph, right? Vehavta, right? So one question, because we'll see that ava is a key word in this paragraph, is just to keep an eye on who's loving whom in this paragraph. So the first instance, avarabavtanu, was actually uh, twice, right? Ahava and Avtanu. It's clearly God loving us. And here, this one, I think it could go either way. Enlighten our eyes by means of your Torah. Eyes here presumably being a metaphor for vision. Okay? And may your Torah enlighten our vision, make our vision clear. And uh, again, there's there's no there's no helping verb that I'm going to translate as cause. Okay, um, it literally just in, in English we might say cause our minds to cleave to your mitzvot, but it really means stick our minds to your mitzvot. It's a command. Okay. Um, Torah mitzvot are a pair here, right? Torah is learning and mitzvot are doing. I just want to remind you, after Rechot HaShachar, the one-line blessings, then the long paragraph where we sit down, Baruch Adonai, Amavir Sheinam Einayu Numami Afapai, Viratzon Nilfanecha Hashem Elokeinu Shetargileinu B'Toratecha V'dabakeinu B'Mitzvotecha, right? So Torah and mitzvot are seen as a pair, where Torah is instruction and the mitzvot are doing, all right? So there's an idea that we learn and we do and that these things are an inseparable pair. I just want to point out they're used as as sort of parallels, but they're not synonyms, okay? They both mean instruction. Well, Torah means instruction and mitzvot means commands, okay? But the way we generally understand them is Torah is something that we study and mitzvot are something that we do. So, um, help or get our minds to be enlightened with your instruction and cause our lave, our mind, to be stuck to your mitzvot, to cleave to your mitzvot. V'yached levavenu, and unify our hearts, which I don't think means the same thing in Hebrew that it does in English. In English, it makes it sound like we're all together, you know, unify multiple hearts. Um, if that's what it meant, then the Hebrew would be v'yached libotenu, I think. Vered, what's the plural of lave? Libot? Levavot. 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 It would be v'yached livavotenu, levavotenu. Right. So if we really meant let's all be unified, all our hearts together, it would be a different word. Livavenu is singular, so it means cause our mind to be unified, which I think means cause our, cause our mind to be single-minded, if I could just sort of simplify it, right? Meaning single-mindedly committed. I think that's the sense of it. To do what? ul'yirah et So here it's clear which way the love goes. 
right? The last one mentioned was maybe ambiguous. This is not ambiguous. So help us be single-minded to love. I don't like the, tra- and I generally don't like the translate for fear, for yira. I prefer reverence. To love and reverence your name. Okay, love and respect your name. And again, with uh, Ahava and Yira are another pair intention. Pair, sorry, pair intention, T-E-N-S-I-O-N, that are frequently mentioned conceptually, right? Our relationship to God is supposed to be loving and reverential. Loving and respectful. Uh, I read another thing last night that said, For humans, it's very difficult to do this. Usually, we either love people or we fear people. Usually not both. We either love them or we reverence them, right? Love is, is a, has kind of a connotation of intimacy, right? And reverence has a connotation of um, some degree of distance, You know, I have reverence for, like, you know, the rabbi. You know, I had a lot of reverence for Rabbi Pressman, Zichron Oliv Racha, right? Or, uh, I don't know, Lahavdil, if you meet, uh, I don't know, the mayor or the governor or the queen or something like that. You'd feel very reverential, okay? And that's very different feeling from loving. So commentary said, but the only being for whom we can feel both is God, or for whom we're supposed to feel both. Meyer? Or a parent. Or a parent. Correct. Because what is behind this idea of God as an Av is um, God is a loving parent. What is the evidence of God's love for us in this paragraph? He gave us the Torah, which does what? Teaches you the way of life. Teaches you the way of life. As a parent might for a child, right? Again, the idea embedded in this is that a loving parent does not say, go to bed whenever you want. You can go to school if you like, but not if you don't like. You could brush your teeth or not. Just figure it out on your own. The loving parent says... Here is the guidance. Okay, I'm going to give. I'm going to give you my wisdom. I'm going to give you my guidance. Um, Stevie is not yet a parent. God willing, someday he will be. Everyone else here has been a parent, I think. Right. So um, we know what this means. Right. If you're a loving parent, and very often our children feel that we love them too much. I know, Dad. You told me that, Dad. Thank you, Dad. Okay. I'm almost 30, Dad. Okay. Um, I know to check the oil. Did you check the oil? Okay. So Hashem gives us guidance for life. So God is, in this regard, like a parent. And this is a manifestation of God's love for us. A loving parent does not send their offspring, right, or B'nai Israel in this case, out into the world with no guidance, 
Okay? It's an act of love that we have the guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, and we have what's this guidance supposed to do? It's supposed to enlighten our vision. Okay? It's supposed to make us learning and teaching and doing. These are some of the things you've read so far. Um, I think I'm going to finish this sentence and then stop. And cause our uh, heart, mind, to be unified or, or singular, singularly to love and reverence your name. Just want to drop a question in there, which we don't have to answer today. Why don't we say, Why is it, It seems sort of a little bit one step removed. Instead of saying, make us singularly in our love and reverence for you, make us singular in our love and reverence for your name. So I just want you to think about that to next week, right? Saying it God's, God's name seems to make it a little bit removed rather than love and reverence you. And there are other places, other texts, where we say to love God and to reverence God. So it's not like we couldn't say that. The lo nevosh, we're not going to answer today, just think about it. The lo nevosh le'olam va'ed, and we will not, or the va here could mean and thereby we will never translated here as be brought to shame. Reasonable translation. And we'd have to ask, what does that mean? What would be shameful about not doing these things? So I don't think I want to answer those questions. I, want, I think I want people to think about those questions. Let's let them hang. What does it mean to love and reverence God's name and not God? What's that about? And how does this somehow withhold us or prevent us from being ashamed? So I think we'll end with questions today. I don't want any answers to those two questions. Other than answers to those two questions, is there any comment that anyone wants to make on anything we've done so far today? And then we'll wrap up. Larry? Just a couple of quick comments. I like, I can't remember the word you used, but to me, this is a double pivot, the Avad Rabbah, because up to now we've been talking about universality of creation, and now it becomes very personal and leads into the Shema. I want to point out a connection, because it still is a connection, and that is if we go all the way back to the introduction of the first bracha, Hameir La'aretz Oh, I like that. Never noticed that. Nice one. We've got two connections. One is Hameir connects to Ha'erinenu. Exactly. I want to get that. Hold on. Pause. So God gave light to the world, which is uh, concrete. It's physical. And here, Ha'erinenu, enlighten our vision is metaphorical. Same, but it's the same verb. Good. Yep. And also, you probably talked about it, and I just forgot, but we did have that one reference to Rachamim at the yeah. beginning. Yes. 
Correct. So creation is for the whole world. Again, there's no, other than that that next to last line, which um, Sephardim don't say about Or Hadash Al There's nothing in the first paragraph about the Jews. It's Rachamim for the world, and this is about Torah, which is Rachamim for us. The light is Rachamim and gives light to the world, and the Torah is Rachamim and gives light to us. So it's a nice parallel, nice observation, Larry, and where light is used concretely and then metaphorically. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.